Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Hey, welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity. We welcome you into that conversation. It is a snowy morning. We've got a little flurries going on outside. Uh, the Michigan boy is sitting down here in the cottage studio basement with his stocking cap on. I think I've frozen him out. We turned the heat off so we don't get any background noise, and uh, and he's all bundled up over there. So how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It feels good, actually. Yeah. yeah. How you doing, Mike? Doing good. I felt like uh, our last episode was a lot of fun for me. I think we just sat around and chatted about what the Lord has placed on our heart and um, kind of decompressed from the very deep uh, eternal life dialogue that we'd been having. So just excited to see where the Lord takes us next. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for your support. You can always find us on Facebook and at Gmail. Uh, send us your thoughts, uh, questions, concerns. <laughs> uh, one thing is we don't ask for donations, but um at least not yet, but it is something that we're just kind of um, paying for ourselves right now. But as we gain listeners and episodes, um, we just ask that you would share um, share our link, share our website with others if you feel like maybe they would benefit. We love to think about Jesus uh, getting glory during the week, people having something to listen to. So share with your friends. That's all we'll uh, say about that. Corey, what's on your mind today? Well, you know, I was thinking about our last episode and how we were discussing, I don't know, just kind of surface stuff more than anything, but the, you know, what does worship look like and, and now, and maybe then, and, and I don't know, it's hard for us to answer some of those questions. Sometimes we only know what we know. And, and um, I, I just wonder, you know, when people's hearts are, are totally changed by Christ in the, in the kingdom to come, what, what worship would look like then. And I, and I say that because, you know, I, I don't assume that just because Jesus has come now all worship stops or something, you know, but but um, we're going to grow in light and knowledge and truth, and, and maybe it all just becomes praise, you know. Maybe maybe we don't meet together anymore someday for uh, the the purpose of sharing our concerns. You know, you think about what won't be the case if, if we're in the kingdom, you know, you assume, well, we won't have the, the people on the prayer list the way before, you know, the sickness and the right. injury <laughs> and all that. Um, maybe, but you know, I, I, I say that, but at the same time, <clears throat> if we look at what all the scripture says about the kingdom coming to earth and it, I, I love Isaiah where he says, you know, and the house of the mountain of the Lord will be established in the top of the mountains and all nations will flow onto it. And I'm just kind of paraphrasing Isaiah too, but he says, but it says, and they shall learn of his ways and that they'll go there to learn of his ways and they'll, they'll go back, you know, nations um, and, and the picture that kind of evokes of the fact that, you know, there will be people coming to learn about God and it's not like they're going to arrive perfectly. They're going to come and learn, and then they're going to go back and the world's going to grow in knowledge of, of, of Jesus. But, um, I, I wonder sometimes what our worship would be like then. And, you know, is there anything we should be doing or aren't doing or, or whatever now? And I, and I don't think any of it really comes down to worship style or format so much. It just comes down to the hearts that we bring to worship and, and the hearts that we take away from that worship. Has it mm-hmm. motivated us to, and has, has it changed us, you know? 
I, I know in talking to some of the missionaries that have gone to other countries, just the plain fact that, um, believe it or not, every saint in the world is not um, fair-skinned and blue-eyed and yeah. <laughs> that there is different cultures out there. And I forget that myself. Mm-hmm. I, I am so focused on my circle and, and where I live. And that's okay. Uh, but and God's God of all those people. Of too. all the people. Right. Listening, uh, you know, like when I would talk to um, Kara or Zoe when they come back, but just listening to, you know, styles are different. Um, mm-hmm. My dad's been in Nigeria. You know, he used to go twice a year for, I think, 10 years in a row. And they the way they worship and he would bring his, the friends would come and stay with them and just talking with them or hearing them pray different. Um, there was a Ibu tribe, uh, Nigeria and brother Hensley. They would almost talk chiastically. They would, they would make a point and then they would go out and then they would almost like regress and like say the same point and, and say the same thing over and over and like in their prayers and like, you know, their songs sometimes standing and clapping and singing and it's real rhythmic and, you know, so just the format of worship will, will look, much different, and so <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm almost giddy with excitement to not be in the same. <laughs> I think that'll be be cool, um, but and you know what? It may just all be falling down at the feet of Jesus at some point. I, well, I we we know so. that that will be at that at some point. Yeah. That's going to be one common thing we all have. But. Yeah, you know, some years ago it was during the World Conference of the RLDS Church, and I <clears throat> the Hedrickite Church or Temple Lot Church uh, was having a conference. The same week, I believe, and and one night I, I walked over because I just never participated um, in anything outside the RLDS church at, at that point in my life. And I went over to the Temple Lot Church service where they were meeting, and um, that was, in fact, the old building before it got burned down, but uh, that's beside the point. But I remember being overwhelmed with the feeling like these were some of the most humble people I'd ever been in worship with. I remember, you know, like... Growing up in in the earliest church, I was always thinking, well, you only have to kneel during communion because that's what we do. We all kneel. But but at that church, the Temple Lot Church, they knelt at every prayer. I mean, these were these were it was like heartfelt, like people just bowing themselves down during just you know the the prayers of invocation and benediction. I mean, the people are on their knees, and I just remember you know this word supplication. Now that we defined a couple weeks back that I didn't really understand. I see that's what it was now. There was a more openness towards towards supplicating the Lord and feeling like we were really begging. Um, I just, I don't know, just um, even close to home, you know, you don't even have to go as far as Nigeria to find people that worship differently. And so feeling like, again, it's it's the thing that changes your heart, and and that's ultimately what it is. But if our heart isn't changed, that's where we got to start answering questions. Yeah, I think the, at the very heart of worship is the very knowledge the fact that you just said is that each one of us we talk about having a changed heart often and uh, you that can be a whole process of works or not and it's very important to realize that jesus the holy spirit is what changes our heart so i think we take that for granted and maybe we don't maybe sometimes we just use that uh, as a cliche or or very often in, in sentences but having a changed heart, that, that's a process, and that's opening yourself up to a spirit, a, a power higher than you that is allowed to come in and change your very nature from being— yeah. You mentioned uh, a couple episodes ago, Corey, about the flesh and about, um, you know, why not just procrastinate the day of my repentance and have the best of this world and then the best of eternity? Well, and you, you brought up this, this thought that I've really uh, pondered on. When we have flesh and blood on us right now— 
this is an opportunity perhaps to do something that we won't be able to do then, and that is to learn how to uh, have that fleshly nature obey the spirit and to yeah. And so worship is, is gives us opportunity to do that. It changes our nature. It allows us to bring that flesh under submission to something greater. And that's where I believe without worship, I mean, the change of heart will never take place. It right, has to right. be in, uh, in worship, in, um, <laughs> in co, uh, collaboration. That's not a word, bad word. I'm trying to, uh, co- uh, interaction, close relationship and fellowship with the Holy spirit. Right. You know, you know, it's interesting because what you just said there made me realize that that's ultimately maybe the measure of worship. Did I want my spirit to submit to the will of God, you know, through, through worship? Did it cause me to, to want to glorify him? Did it cause me to want to serve other people? Did it cause me to want to walk in obedience? All those things, you know, if worship does that, it's, it's successful and it can happen in, in various ways. Just a thought, Corey, when, um, when the spirit fell upon Alma, when they had been, uh, was it the son of Alma, right? The one that was persecuting the church. Yeah, Junior. When when uh, a spirit fell upon him, he spent two or three days bound up in, in interaction with a higher power. And actually, a pretty bad experience. It turned out to be a great experience at the end. You know, was that was that worship? Was that a... Not not in our typical sense. I'm not trying to be silly, but um, he yeah. was coming into true. He was coming into true face to face reality that there was a higher power than him. Yeah, and yeah. he was forced to be humble. And, and who knows why God chose him at that time, other than uh, there was a work to be done. And I'm sure he was under great responsibility from thereafter to do that work and not to fail. But um, anyway, yeah. maybe that's a, a silly question, but. Well, that's a good one. Because yeah. worship transforms you, and he was definitely transformed, him and his brothers, after that. You know, he writes uh, letters to his sons, and we spent some time in Alma 19, which is one of those letters. It's interesting. <clears throat> this just I, uh, kind of spoke to me in a new way just in the last week. Um, in Alma 17, he's writing to one of his sons who was more well-behaved and apparently with him on the mission. But he, he describes that. And and he says in Alma 17, in the RLDS version, he said, I rebelled against my God. I hadn't kept his commandments. I had, and he uses the word murder. I had murdered many of his children, or rather led them away into destruction. He said, so great were my iniquities that coming to the presence of God racked my soul with inexpressible horror. Mm-hmm. So first of all, he describes his state, man, I have been so bad. And here I am, you know, bound up in this situation. And then but this is his, he describes his thoughts, and this is Alma 17, verse 13. Oh, thought I, that I could be banished and become extinct, both body and soul. And you think about that. That was what was first on his mind. I could become extinct here, mm. right? You know, this is like powerful. And that I might not be brought to stand in the presence of my God to be judged of my deeds. He didn't want, he didn't want judgment, you know. Um, so... He says, for three days and nights, I was racked, even with the pains of a damned soul. And it came to pass that as I was thus racked with torment, while I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins, you know, that word harrowed, uh, it's a farm implement, you know, a thing with spikes that breaks the clods, you know, that's a harrow, right? And when I talk about being harrowed up, I, my mind always goes to that farm implement that is there to break and bust and destroy. Oh, you know? I never, yeah. that's just one of those words I skip over through the sentence, but yeah. say, 
Okay. A so. harrow, a harrow is, is, is a plow kind of takes the dirt and it turns it upside down. Right. But a harrow comes through later. Just think of a big thing, dragging huge nails, huge spikes through the ground. It's to take those clods and pulverize them. You know? So he was just broken, right. pulverized by his knowledge of his sin. Right. Okay. Yeah. He was, I was harrowed by the memory of my sins. Mm. But then he says, and in this moment, he says, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy to the people according to this one, Jesus, the son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. So he's, you know, you just picture his situation. He's he's like just in the worst torment for his own sin. He doesn't want to meet God. He's feeling like I could be banished and extinct now. But then this memory of Jesus comes to him. And, and this is where it all turns around. And it's this where it's got to start, not just for Alma, but for each of us. He says, so... I remembered my dad talking about this Jesus guy. Now, we read this with this perspective that, oh, yeah, we know all about Jesus. But you have to remember, in his day, it was Old Testament times. Jesus wasn't this common household word back then. And, like, all of a sudden, it's this, this new idea. Mm-hmm. Is, can this Jesus do something about this? So he says, I remember this. And now in verse 16, now, as my mind caught hold upon this thought, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me, who art in the gall of bitterness. He he was, not Jesus. And art encircled by the everlasting chains of death. So he's describing his situation, the gall of bitterness, encircled by everlasting chains of death. And he calls out to Jesus for mercy. And in this moment, in this moment, Alma 17, verse 17, and now behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed, that word again, by the memory of my sins no more. Wow. Corey, this, <clears throat> the fact that you just said that, and we've said this several times, but again, I've read this passage of Scripture from my perspective of being well-versed in Jesus Christ and, and living in an environment with a Christian church on every corner. Here you said, you know, maybe for the very first time he remembered, this was before Christ came, he remembered his dad talking about this Christ, and he experimented and cried out to that name. I mean, he didn't have all these testimonies and things of Jesus. It was just the, the preaching of his dad. Think about that. And so now I'm thinking like, okay, well, how does that, you know, why can't I have this experience? Well, you know, have I? Maybe you haven't committed enough sin. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, right. Maybe another Those few years. <laughs> yeah. No, um that's that's really prob well, anyway, it was a new concept, but something that he was willing to try. That's just an interesting um, perspective. It well it, it's 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 really it's fascinating and it's beautiful. And again, I I, I say this a hundred times probably I can't I can't figure out how a farm boy could have just made this up in the eighteen hundreds about this because you know, he, he he drills right in in Alma's situation. How, how could Joseph Smith have, have just known to make this up? But the fact is, he, he's describing this awful pain, and he's in this spiritual coma, or, or at least physical coma, having this spiritual experience, experiencing the anguish created by his own sin, realizing there's a God, but then finding the only option is, and I, and I love this, he said, I called within my heart, Oh Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, and and he describes his state. He said, "I'm in the gall of bitterness. I'm encircled by the everlasting chains of death." It's like he was calling out for nothing else. And and you you, you started you 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 know you peaked 
the the question by saying, "Hey, you know, was was there worship in any of this?" And in Alma's situation, it's like this is what it was. He he turns this recognition of his own situation, and he calls on Jesus for mercy. And if that isn't worship, I don't know what else is. Yeah, that that's that's crazy. Having <laughs> I started out asking a question about that, I. I because what I was thinking, Corey, is um, what takes place in worship. Do we we probably okay? When I say the word worship, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Mm, Eleven o'clock Sunday morning. There you go. Right. As, as soon as you say worship, right. I think of the, the place. We have Sunday thing. school, and right. then we have the worship service. Exactly. And yeah. I, and I picture um I picture the congregation I go to and the place that I usually sit, and that's worship. That's exactly what came to my mind. So. That's a good point, and I, I don't want to get you off track, but but it's interesting because what doesn't conjure my mind is an attitude or, mm-hmm. or a feeling, you know, or a longing, right, or a recognition of my own sin, right. And and worship, like um, just like uh, the word glory or whatever, it has many different. Um, it can be a noun or a verb. Uh, it has many different things, but but that even says something about it. That when you do say the word worship, what is the first meaning that even comes mm, to you? That's so, a good question. I think when I'm now I'm trying to make myself sound smarter than maybe I was when I first asked the question, but in pondering it, what I was saying was what takes place in worship? Is it, um, do we picture like, um, uh, praising and singing and doing an action towards uh, a being, mm-hmm. or do we, do we think that there's room for repentance and mm-hmm. sorrow? Mm-hmm. Like when you say, I'm going to, you know, Oh, I really worship the Lord today. Does that mean like, man, I just felt terrible about my sins and herald up mm-hmm. and boy, I really I really spent time weeping on my knees confessing my sins. Is that what I mean or is it do we always want it to be this good like boy, I felt great. We had a great worship service today. I just mm-hmm. left feeling really emotionally high. Well, did but did um, did your capacity to love other people change? Has yeah. it grown? Because that's yeah. the true measure. Did you leave there feeling a greater degree of charity for others? But but yeah, I, d- I think we're just saying what takes place in worship. Is there room for repentance? Is there room for sorrow? Is there room for spending three days in a coma? Right. But at the heart of it, we know that there's transformation. And and that process that he just went through, he, he was harrowed up by his sins, and then he realized the atonement of Jesus could do something, and then he was transformed. Yeah, and yeah, there it is. we are bound by tradition and by knowing Jesus, and, and <laughs> this sounds terrible, but we are bound by um, just, mm, what, how do I say this? You know, you do something like that. Yeah, that's a terrible analogy. It almost makes it so silly. You just do something over and over, and sometimes it loses its meaning. When I went to the Catholic church, I dated a, a couple of Catholic girls in high school. I loved the fact that the priest you know, walked in, and he was swinging this thing, and there was incense. Mm. And, uh, and, this, uh, like, and I was thinking about the prayers of the saints rising up to God. Mm. And I love that they had this bar that would flip down, and everybody would kneel at a certain time. And there was a lot of action going on. For me, that was really cool. Mm. But for someone that grew up doing that every week, it's lost its mm. meaning, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, by the way, no, I don't want to get off topic. Don't ever joke about the roof leaking and being holy water in the foyer. That was a really bad moment in my life. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I walked in and there was this big, tall <laughs> thing with a big disc on top and full of water. Oh, and it was storming outside. And I just kind of joked, like, oh, what's the roof leaking? And it was like silence. Like, oh, no. She's like, that's the holy water for the Oh, no. So... 
<clears throat> anyway, I got us off track. Sorry, but so yeah, worship. Um, what does it look like? Uh, but definitely transformation, at least in this instance. Yeah, you know, in, in that part in the Book of Mormon that kind of leaves it all open ended, where you mentioned, <clears throat> I think, previous episode about hey, they 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 led their worship whether they were motivated to exhort or preach or or supplicate or pray. You know, it's kind of like, well, our needs change, but in the end, it's it's all worship if if that change happens in us. Yeah. So, when describing worship, I think, um, so if we haven't done it already, very clearly, what is the result we want from right. a worship experience? Now, I can tell you this, and this is something that you know, it, I can just say it's just my opinion, but I, I give it as my opinion that because. I don't know, just things that uh, we've taken from prophecy and scriptures, and we, we talk about Zion and, and the kingdom that, that will come on earth, and, and we're waiting for that day, and as a, as a body, sometimes that has become, that supersedes almost everything, and, and that's kind of the measure of a good fundamental congregation, I guess, hey, did they talk about Zion and the kingdom? But you know, the, the, the king is the more important part of the kingdom, and, and that we, we can't lose sight of that, um, one of the things I think in worship in my years, it, and, and it's where it's lost a little bit of its meaning, it's that there's this need somehow, and they don't, no one will ever say it in these terms, but to, to feel we need to be right or, or we need to be vindicated or we need to be proven that we were right for waiting and wanting the kingdom. And it's almost like worship of God gets replaced with trying to just edify that we made the right decision or that we're in the right church, if, if that makes sense. And it's like, we can't we can't do that we can't we can't lose sight of the transformation of people's hearts and souls and 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 instead just sort of replace that with this feeling well we're going to get together and we're going to remind you guys why you're in the right church or we're going to remind you guys that this is this is what's happening you just need to know that you're you're the right ones and you're the chosen ones because we 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 lose the sight of we we lose the importance of of the worshipful attitude of worship by just feeling like we need edification, if that makes sense. That, that's maybe just my opinion. Right. No, and we kind of touched on this last episode, but just to state again, we can never state this too much. Um, you and I come from, and, and even amongst us, we come from different um, restoration backgrounds currently, but um, we are just, uh, because we are commenting on our journey and our faith journey on where we've grown up does not mean that we are trying to kick it and put it down. But, no, no, but like no. I said, if we're we were Baptist or, yeah, if we were just member and sometimes the, the mainstream Christianity, they just say the church and they, yeah. they look at the church and, and how, uh, they explore how to make things better, how to make things different. You know, are we doing what we need to do? And so I love that, um, we need to have safe conversation here with, and we, I don't want anybody to think that we're putting it down. And, and sometimes yeah, I, I have one of those things with, you know, Wednesday night prayer services. I don't want to put down that we pray for the sick. Are you kidding? I mean, I was a hospice nurse for, for 10 years. I understand physical suffering and dying and the prayers that need to be, um, how much you covet those prayers. And, and certainly, but I think why we have to make points sometimes is because we get, caught in traps and in traditions and the way of doing things. And so in order to make a point, you have to point out what you're doing. And the fact is there's a prayer list every Wednesday night with 10 or 15 or 20 physical ailments listed, but there's never really a prayer list where, um, you know, I'm dealing with pornography or I'm dealing with uh, um, 
you know, obesity right, or right. dealing with jealousy of my brothers in the priesthood or whatever you could, you know, put down there. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, that's kind of close, close because just recently I was just kind of asked to take charge of a prayer service and, and there weren't a lot of people there, but in the traditional format, you know, you just ask if there's anyone on the prayer list. And of course <clears throat> there's a few hands that go up and, and usually they're the mentioning the people that we're all concerned about that everyone in that circle already knew about, you know, the person who's been dealing with an ongoing illness or whatever. And they're all mentioned. And I, and I kind of let everyone have that time to share. And then I said, okay, I'm going to ask you a question now. I said, how many of you, you know, cause we, we all listed like the, the physical, the obvious, you know, someone, someone with some ailment. And, and I said, and, and there was of the, you know, 15 or 20 people that were there, three or four people mentioned someone with an ailment and they were, they were put on the list. And so then I said, but how many of you know someone who is just really hurting right now? And they're really at a spiritual crossroads in their life or they're really, you know, in pain because of a relationship that's they're having a hard time with, or, or they're just struggling with direction or they're, or they're just feeling like life is overwhelming right now. I said, without even naming a name, how many of you in this 20 people that were there know someone who might fall into that category? Every hand went up. Every single hand went up. Wow. Everyone knew someone who was really hurting, but, but we don't want to mention them because that's not how we do it, you know? Right. Yeah, without getting too far off track, though, but that is important to me. And like Zoe said, you know, sometimes what I'm going through right now is so much beyond I mean, I could tell you in my circle of four or five closest friends, there are some physical battles going on right now, Corey. Mm -hmm. I never in a million years had any clue about. Like, I, I never, when I was 18 years old and, you know, coming out of high school, thought that I would have friends that would deal with such spiritual betrayals and just sadness, family sadness. I didn't, I was, oh, I was, yeah. and, and so as each year goes by and as we all get older and spend more time on this earth, it's very interesting to see that those things, you know, are taking place. And like you said before, you know, I wasn't prepared for um, a lot of times, like I wish I was more prepared for where the church was going to end up being, or, or, you know, we had this great story. We were going to ride this, you know, the, the, the waves of the restoration into Zion. But as a church and as individuals, we find ourselves in these dark places. And I, Yes, I get sad because I don't, I don't know that there's a place for people to go to bring those concerns as a body. And you know, Corey, I know just you and I talking, and with our other close friends, that um, we we've brought up that fact. Like, there's no place to go. Like, like all I can say, all I can offer you is the prayers of your brethren. Mm -hmm. Like, can we just get together and pray for one another? I know it doesn't. Like these things don't happen on Wednesday nights, and. And then you think like, well, what kind of change needs to take place in the church where you are comfortable going to a body of people? That doesn't happen overnight. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't just walk in some some prayer service and say, okay, from now on, we're going to just pray about our spiritual needs. I right. mean, right. Mm -hmm. obviously, that's, that's a very um, slow, trusting change. But there are things we can do, small groups. There's all kinds of things we could do if that was our goal. We're smart people and we have the Lord as our leader. Mm -hmm. We can put our heads together if we would be willing to go in the right direction and agree that it would be beneficial. But, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, anyway, yeah. we're, I don't know if we're off topic or not. That's just, <laughs> I brought up Wednesday night as far as a, a form of worship and, and what kind of bothers me about it. But again, um, 
there's nothing wrong with praying for the physical needs. It's just that sometimes you have to make a point. And if that's the only thing you see and you know people are hurting in other areas, how else do you try to have change without, you know, commenting on the way things are as they are? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> you know, just to put it in a scriptural perspective, uh, it's I think it's in the book of James or, or maybe maybe it was the book of John. I can't remember where, where uh, it's basically said, hey, you know, if, if you know your brother's hungry and, and you just, you know, kind of wish him well and go on his way, but you know, he has this need and you ignore it, you know, that's, that's a sin right there. Mm-hmm. right. And so we, we've got to recognize that there's a whole segment of our spiritual lives that we tend to, because of our, what we're comfortable with in worship or whatever, um, we, we tend to kind of ignore that thinking, well, you're in the church now, so you shouldn't have those problems. You know, we're just waiting for Zion and, and then mm-hmm. everything will be okay. Um, but I think it is good that we're honest and we, you know, we, we express those things and we, we come to terms with them as a people. You know, um, this, you, you said something about riding the waves to Zion and that opens up a question because, you know, I, I think what's beautiful about the Book of Mormon to me in, in this point in my life is that it's it's becoming this new book where reading it through again and a couple times this year, just kind of rereading it. I even got a brand new copy and started highlighting it so I wouldn't be just persuaded by my old highlights and, and wanting the words to become fresh. But But something jumped out at me recently, and it kind of just comes into a question that we almost wouldn't even answer ask because I think we think we – know the answer and maybe we do but the the question is so why really was the church restored and you know um <clears throat> some of us uh well i don't know what what do you think mike if i if i just ask you that if someone said hey hey mike i hear you go to this church that's restored why was it restored what would you say yeah probably <clears throat> first thing i would say well because um over time many plain and precious truths were removed um priesthood authority was lost and the Lord had a plan to restore all of that and also for the Book of Mormon to come forth, which um, which is going to do a lot of work in convincing people that Jesus was the Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Nephi writes, and in this whole vision that's the early part of the first book of Nephi, his, his father sees this vision and then Nephi sees it. And we, we shared some of that before with the Tree of Life. But what's interesting is that in that vision he sees basically two categories. He, he sees the salvation part of the vision, which is like the tree of life and, and the great and spacious building and everything. And, and we, we see that contrast between the mercy and love of God being the tree of life and the justice and the, and the ways of the world and, and the sin and the gulf that divides them. That's the first half. But the second half of his vision was the prophecy part. And what's contained in that Boy, there's just so many, so many gems of scripture and knowledge. One of them speaks to this question about why the gospel was was restored. And one of the things that <clears throat> I I don't know if this was just me growing up hearing it this way, or if it was a certain teaching program that the church was kind of using in the you know in recent years. But I I had had this notion that well, the church had to be restored because the church had died out. And, and so the using sometimes certain scriptures that can be taken one way or another, you know, you could come up with this proof in scripture saying, well, the Lord restored his church and it happened in 1830. And here's the timetable that shows it from prophecy and everything. And it's like, so he put it back, but 
But there's some, there's another component to it, and that that may 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 all be true. But what I was reading recently, and this jumped out at me in just a new way. You know, it's one of these times when you can read something a bunch and then you, you see it again in a new way. When when Nephi in his prophecy in First Nephi three sees his own people fall into iniquity, he he sees that this record that he was starting to write was going to come back someday, but not directly to his people. He he sees that the record would come back to people on this land who would become this great nation, and he, he calls them the Gentiles. Now, that word gets thrown around in Scripture a lot, um, Jews and Gentiles and what it all meant at different times. But basically, when he's talking Gentiles, he's talking about the people who are on this land, and he said they've been lifted up in like First Nephi 3, verse 176, 177, he sees this group of people on this land who God was going to raise up by his power above all nations on the face of this land. And that, that's a good thing. And he makes this covenant with, with Nephi that these people, um, his people, would be on this land and that it would be the land of their inheritance. But he's going to see these Gentiles raise up on their land, Nephi's Nephi's land. But he goes on to say, he said that these Gentiles, and it uses the word woundedness in the restored covenant version, in the 1908 version that uses the word blindness. But he says, but he, he talks about, you use the word plain and precious truths that have been removed. And he says, neither would the Lord suffer that the Gentiles, the ones on this land, would forever remain in that awful state of woundedness, which you behold therein because of the plain and precious parts of the gospel of the Lamb, which had been kept back by that abominable church whose formation thou hast seen. So he says this, and this is First Nephi chapter 3, verse 180. Wherefore saith the Lord God, the Lamb of God, I will be merciful unto the Gentiles. And then he says, in bringing the gospel back, he said, they stumble exceedingly, jump, jumping down into verse 183. After the Gentiles stumble exceedingly because of plain and precious parts of the gospel, which have been kept back, he says, wherefore, I will be merciful to the Gentiles, insomuch I will bring forth much of my gospel to them, and it will be plain and precious. Now, the reason I'm sharing that, and I jumped through about 10 verses right there from First Nephi chapter 3, is because while I had always heard, well, the Lord had to restore his church, it's like there, there's a different aspect to it. The Lord brought the gospel to the Gentiles so that we could know how to come to Jesus and be saved. In the earlier verses of that, and there's there's a little bit of a difference, I guess. It was God's mercy that he wanted the people of the world in our day to have the fullness of the gospel and not stumble at plain and precious things that have been removed. In the earlier part of that chapter, around verse 160, 161, Nephi sees in his vision, he says, you see this book coming forth from the Jews, and when it comes forth from them, it's plain, it's precious, it's the truth. When the apostles were with Jesus and they got their act together and in the book of Acts and everything go out, going out and preaching, they were preaching the word and truth. But he said when the word gets through this church and plain and precious truths are removed, you start to see them stumble, and nations stumbled. So God in his mercy 
brings the gospel back to the Gentiles in purity and fullness, simply so we could know how to come to him. And and there's and it happened through the church being restored, but it's for this great purpose of not just restoring the church, but restoring the knowledge of Jesus Christ to everyone in purity. And so I, I bring that up because some sometime along the way I had heard this said that well our our purpose is we have to build Zion and everything. It's like, well, Zion is, is going to be built, but the purpose was of Zion as it is now so that we could bring the true Jesus Christ back to the world, right? So that there wouldn't be confusion, so that we could know who he is. We could know how to come to him and be saved. And it's yet, even in our own circles, having this great truth, we've picked out, like on the buffet, there's all these things that God wants done, but we picked out the pieces that we feel like we want to share, we want to partake in. And and I don't know that we've done that. And that's where I'm that's where I'm kind of looking at this anew saying, you know, so he brought the gospel to us so we could have the same pure word that the apostles were sharing in Jesus' day, like in Israel. Didn't last long, obviously, you know, as they were killed out and things morphed away from the, the truth. But he did it again with us in this day so that once again the world could come to him. But so what have we done with that? You know, that's that's what I ask. And that's that's where I'm wondering, yeah, the church is restored, but how have we been bringing the world to him, right? Versus have we just been sometimes promoting our own brand, right, of what we feel like is his his church, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, as you're talking and I'm listening, um, because we're talking about worship, what I'm seeing is as we more clearly understand the story of God and his working, not just in our hearts, but on a global scale, you know, with all saints, with all of his creation, and we understand what his purpose is, what what his purpose is here on this planet, besides just having us in eternal existence with him one day, how does that then change the way I worship him? Because um, I think that it does change the way I worship him because it changes who he is and it changes the way I see him. And And as we come to see God in greater ways and his plan and purpose and his love for all people, we begin to realize that... Um, well, I think there's great joy and freedom in realizing that you're not special because it's not yeah. that it's, and yeah. that's the problem is that people <laughs> put themselves, people that are broken, including myself, it's easy to be put down by that knowledge instead of allowing that knowledge to do what it was intended to do. And that's to raise you up. Uh, yeah. Because when I say that no one's special, that means no one else is more special than you. You're all special. And it, that sounds almost like you're just being funny with words. But no, it's something that goes to the heart of every one of God's creation yes. is that we think that um, we want to think that we're, we're, we're something to him. And the fact is you are. I am something to him. He loves me. This is just going to be words as they come out of my mouth. But they have to resound in the heart of every creature. He loves me, Corey, as much as anything this great God has ever created on this earth mm. in the history of time, not just now. Yeah, yeah. Just think about that and put your own name in that for a minute. And I realize that that is just a word. That is just a sentence that you're saying. But think about that and then experiment on that thought for a while. Mm -hmm. But don't let that make you feel prideful. It should do the exact opposite is that you have no reason to be prideful. Right, right. You've just... When that, when that realization becomes integrated into your DNA and into your soul, 
You have no reason to be prideful because your identity is completely fulfilled in this relationship between you and your heavenly father. And nothing can break that. Nothing mm-hmm. can break that. That's that's something when that happens in the lives of each person. That's that tree. That's the partaking of that fruit. So when that happens, we're talking about worship. When when worship allows and fosters that to happen, um, it's, well, understanding who God is and in, in, in his relationship to everyone on this earth besides just me, I think that that has a place in worship. And, and maybe, um, you know, in the restoration, of course, we've, we focused a lot on being the chosen people and having the Book of Mormon and Latter-day Revelation and all of these things are wonderful, but they're for the benefit of the entire world, not just, not just for us. And so, and so if, if we don't understand that, then we have somewhat of a slanted view of God and his purpose. Right. And so, but each one of us has to really, I think we have to answer the question personally, is there a need for me to fall into true worship with, with God and does it matter what I believe about him? And really, we're answering those questions, I think, every time we get together. Yeah, I, we're I, talking, I, I agree. No, keep going. No, whether we're talking about eternal life or worship, the the question always has to be in the room. Is there? Do I need to change? What needs to change? Do I need to be transformed? Who is God? You know, Does he love me? Am I loving other people? All of these things are always floating around in the atmosphere whenever we're talking about God. And I have no idea where I'm at anymore. You asked me a question, and I... Well, no, it's all good. You know, I I just look at some of these things in Scripture, and and I see them in in a way that I've just never I've never asked the question before. You know, so what does this mean? We're supposed to do like in the same First Nephi three. I'm backing up a little bit. When when Nephi is seeing this vision, he he sees this book, and he says he's asked the question by the angel. Do you know the meaning of the book? And and so Nephi's response is, I don't know. And this is first Nephi three, one fifty nine. He said it, it it proceeds from the mouth of a Jew. He said, The book that you're seeing is a record of the Jews. It contains the covenants which God's made with the house of Israel, it contains prophecies, it contains engravings like the plates of brass, save not so many. And he says, and these things are going to be great worth to the Gentiles. And he adds this and he says in verse one sixty five. When it proceeds forth from the mouth of a Jew, it contained the fullness of the gospel of the Lord. So Nephi is seeing this, and I, I'm coming back to, so why why was the church restored? And he's, he's saying, I saw that it had the fullness. Now remember, these are the apostles over in Israel, that area of the Mideast. And he said when the, uh, verse 165, it contained the fullness of the, the gospel of the Lord, of whom the 12 apostles bore record, and they bore record according to the truth, which is in the Lamb of God. Wherefore, these things go forth from the Jews in purity unto the Gentiles, according to the truth which is in God. So back then, he's seeing the words going forth in purity from the Jews who had the testimony of Christ firsthand to the Gentiles who didn't know. They weren't part of the covenant or anything at the time. But then it says, after they've gone forth by the hand of the 12 apostles from the Jews to the Gentiles, you see us the formation of this great and abominable church. And he says, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and most precious, and many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. So first of all, you know, it, it says taken from the gospel, plain and precious things, and also covenants. 
and this that they might pervert the right ways of the Lord, and they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men. So some of this makes me ask the question, and we'll probably get into this. So what what was actually restored then that was plain and precious? You know, what do we have that's plain and precious that we mm-hmm. should be sharing, teaching, knowing, promoting, you know, of this? Yeah, I I just had a thought, and, and I, I'm trying to make the connection here, probably for the sake of the podcast, to make it clear for our listeners, but there's a scripture that says that, you know, they will worship me in spirit and in truth. Yeah. Yeah, knowing the plain and precious parts that have been removed in the fullness of the gospel and in those coming together. So when we go to worship God uh, and and we're being transformed in that in that avenue of worship, knowing knowing the plain and precious parts of the gospel is important. Knowing who God is as he really is is important. In other words, what we are worshiping is as much important as doing the act of worship. Correct. Because there has been a lot of nastiness that's taking place in this world by very devoted worshipers of very devoted beings, well, not of beings who they had nothing to do with truth and nothing to do. So yeah, understanding the plain and precious truths and who this God is and what was removed from his gospel have to go hand in hand with true worship of him. Otherwise we are worshiping a a God that we've kind of created and slanted. And, And he's, you read that scripture that people are stumbling. Right. So it wasn't that they that that the idea of worshiping a being was taken. No, but people were worshiping all kinds of different beings and different idols, and even even through time, Christ, the Christian God has been falsely worshipped because he wasn't um, he, there wasn't a knowledge of him uh, in the plain and precious way he wanted us to know him. So yeah, that's that's yeah. how I see it. Yeah, I see it linking. Yes, yeah, so much so much so important to know these plain and tra- now the question: Are we stumbling yet again? And just this short 200 years of the gospel being restored, and is that hampering our worship? Um, because you can go out under your own power and take these words or this book to the Jew and to the Gentile throughout the world, and our Latter-day Saint brothers and sisters have done a great job of translating the Book of Mormon into 170, 180 languages. So it's, it's amazing seeing those. You can go out right, and take those books to people, but are you going out under the spirit of God because of of the understanding you have because of these plain and precious truths that have been removed? Yeah, know, and, and it's like you mentioned. You know, has all this made us feel like oh, we're the special ones, yeah. or has it done like the scriptures say? It, it makes you acknowledge your unworthiness before God at all times. I like that. I like that when we were talking about that humility earlier. That true worship should bring you to that. The more you understand about the nature of God, and and I've always define humility as comparing yourself to God and and in a good way, because the more you understand about his nature, the more you understand about your own nature. Mm-hmm. Not a memory. No. Well, something just happened with the audio, but so anyway, I was talking about the more we understand our own identity in God um, and how much he loves us, then we lose that. Um, it's actually freeing. It, it does the reverse of what we think it does. When, when we understand how sinful we are, um, we're actually, it's a time of rejoicing. When we understand mm-hmm. that there's no need for me to try to make myself better in God's eyes, there's no need for that because I, I am so special and loved by him. Yeah. That's yeah. a time of rejoicing. Yeah. That's that's why I like that phrase, we're all just walking each other home because, yeah. and it's probably not time for it in the podcast yet, but <laughs> the point <laughs> is, is that we're, that's the thing is that we're all unworthy. We're all 
we're all not worthy of what he's done and his plan. And yet we kind of claim it and want to feel like we're special. And it's like, there's danger there. And so that's why I kind of, maybe in the next couple of podcasts, we can take a look at this um, a little bit deeper of, of what, what were plain and precious things were, were actually given knowledge of. And I'm afraid, and, and I don't, I don't want to, again, sound like I'm, you know, kicking people around or who done a lot of work through the generations in the church, but I'm afraid where we've arrived at, maybe we've, we've missed a couple of the points along the way. Some of it is just like you say, the nature of God, who is he? What, what is this? Who, who is it that we worship? Um, but also some of why the promises were given and, and what they were given for, you know, this third chapter of first Nephi just contains so many gems that, in this discussion of seeing these plain and precious parts removed um, for whatever reason, and he sees after this book goes forth, it caused the Gentiles to stumble. Um, then what happens, though, is we see God's mercy and an act of mercy. That's why I want to bring it out that it's not just that God had to restore, quote, the church, but he wanted to restore the true knowledge of him and in our relationship so that we could know how to come to him so that we could be able to know how to come to him and, and worship him. And so coming back to scriptures, we already touched on like verse 179. Um, now, but the Lord wasn't going to suffer that the Gentile nations, the ones who, who weren't the Jews, the ones, the house of Israel that he came to specifically, he was going to be equally merciful to the people who weren't part of the house of Israel. And that was, the collective Gentiles who said, I wasn't going to allow you to be blind forever either. I didn't allow Israel to be blind. I'm not going to allow the Gentiles to be blind. And so this gospel that came to us wasn't intended to just make anyone who found the restored church feel special in the last days. It was intended to become the standard that we held up to the world to say, no, we have a clear picture of Jesus Christ here. Come learn about him through this. And, and I think that's one of the, first places where we kind of got off on the wrong foot because pretty early on, and it's still done this way. I mean, you hear people calling the Book of Mormon, well, it's another testimony of Jesus. And it's like, you know, I'm not trying to hold one book of Scripture up against the other, but the, the Scriptures of the Book of Mormon are pretty clear. This book becomes the standard, and I'll use that word standard because it does, that restores the scattered Israel, the tribes of Israel, and the Jews back to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. It becomes a standard. And sometimes we've we've downplayed it like, oh, well, it's it's another book. You know, we've got a couple books. This one talks about Jesus too. And and sometimes I think we've missed the point that it gives very clear doctrine. It gives very clear understanding about who Jesus is. And in this book that who knows, is it because there's other scriptures that we find in conflict or we choose some over another? I'm of the opinion, and you could just say this is me, but I'm of the opinion that we have a ch as a church missed the opportunity to really make the Book of Mormon our standard too. We, we've held on to it like we have it, but then we've kind of read these things about the kingdom and say, okay, well, we have the Book of Mormon and we're special because of that. Now we're just waiting for the kingdom. It's like, no, we were supposed to take this standard back to the world and, and teach it and, and, and prove it. And, and that's that's kind of what I feel like motivated to do is like try to understand, so what were the standards that we were and are yet still to teach? And if we don't latch onto it, the scriptures indicate that the word goes back 
to the the original people who you know call them descendants of Lamanites, descendants of Nephites, the original tribe of Joseph, House of Israel, all all these different terms. The scriptures indicate that when the Gentiles had their time with it, and Jesus used the words and reject the gospel from Third Nephi seven verses about thirty one through thirty six. When the Gentiles who had this gospel reject it, that's when the gospel goes back to the original house of Israel. And so I, I, I'm kind of jumping to the end. It's kind of like from, from one side of this history to the other. The gospel comes to the Gentiles out of God's mercy, but in the end, the gospel is, quote, rejected. Now, I'm not saying people individually did, but as a collective, from a 30,000-foot view, God looks at all the work of the Gentiles and saying, no, overall, the Gentiles didn't as a whole accept this word that came to them to be their standard, you know? So then what? So then, and, and I, this is probably one of my favorite scriptures just because I think it's so enlightening in, in third Nephi chapter seven, I'm going to turn to it just so I, I get it right. Um, third Nephi chapter seven, RLDS version 30 verse 31 in the latter days shall the truth come to the Gentiles that the fullness of these things shall be made known to them. So these, he's speaking of our church. He's speaking of us. We were the Gentile church. But he said, but woe to the unbelieving of the Gentiles, because notwithstanding they've come on this land and scattered my people, he goes, and because of the mercies of the Gentiles on them, he says, I've caused you guys to be rich and, and, and prosperous and everything, but you've afflicted my people. You've cast them out. You've hated them. You know, he's talking back to the original Israel. This is where... The punchline is in verse 34. At that day when the Gentiles shall sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel and shall be lifted up in the pride of their hearts above nations, above all the people of the earth, be filled with lying, deceit, mischiefs, hypocrisy, murders, priestcrafts, secret abominations. When they do all these things and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. And verse 36, and then will I remember my covenant, which I have made with my people, O house of Israel. Now, and I will bring my gospel unto them. See, that that's where, unfortunately, the, the scriptures that I don't think anything in the church has really prepared us for is the fact that they've said this all along. They've said this, that the gospel that came to the Gentiles to be the standard for us that we could hold up Jesus through the, the, the clear lens of the Book of Mormon to the world. We, I don't know if we were successful in that, but he says there's a time coming when, when judgment is pronounced on these Gentiles for rejecting this truth. And when that happens, it's a signpost that the gospel goes back to Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what you were talking about, um, the scriptures talk about worshiping God in spirit and truth, and I don't want to pull just one verse out, but truth is so important. And if we agree that, you know, we were talking about worship these last couple of episodes, that, that we have a need to be transformed and that we can't transform ourselves, but that the Holy Spirit has a work to do with each in, you know, within each one of us to change our hearts and that worship coming together and worshiping God can allow that transformation to take place. We know that it's important, that truth is so important. And so we've talked many times about, and I've always wanted to just kind of dive into like, what was the plain and precious truths that were removed? And so maybe this is a good time as where, and maybe we can talk about worshiping along the way um, because it's it's kind of an I action. I think it's tied in with it, yeah. really. 
So as we talk about worshiping God and then also knowing the plain and precious truths that were removed, um, that's a good good direction to go. I wanted to say, Corey, as you're talking about the standard, my, my son and I were just, we got into this discussion Sunday morning on our little drive that, you know, the Bible was written uh, in the Bible that we have there was these these letters and things being written to people that had crucified Christ and that were you know caught up in the mosaic law and remember that through the years the more righteous people were removed from them and brought brought to this land and probably other places as well but so those were the letters going to them you know a lot of times they're trying to just convince them that no the mosaic law you don't need to do that anymore and yet when we read the book of mormon the writers were allowed to write to people that had already, you know, they were the more righteous and that so many times before Christ has come, they're already talking about him. And there's so much insights into Jesus way before he came because this was the more righteous people. And so there was a group of people that, um, that things could be done with that, that had already accepted some sort of truth along the way. And so that's a different, I never understood. Well, I just never thought about that perspective, how the book of Mormon, you know, along the way was written to the more righteous, to the more righteous that there Mm. were, there were people following him. And yet, uh, you know, the, the Bible and the Jews, they were over there in, in, in the middle East. And, and that was where they crucified Jesus. And they were trying to convince those that were over there, um, that, you know, it wasn't the same crowd. Yeah. It was yeah, a different crowd yeah, they were yeah, talking to. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, if you had had two children and one of them was always rebellious and, and, you know, getting in trouble and, you know, having to always correct and versus you have another child who's obedient and, you know, cheerful and, and willing to play by the rules, you know, and you talk about, say each of those children write their family history someday. Well, one kid's going to write about how he was sent to his room all the time and how he was, you know, in trouble and got spanked all the time. And the other children was going to, child was going to say, Hey, life was fun. We did these things. That's like Israel and the Nephites. You know, you have one, one nation who doesn't even recognize, recognize Christ and the other one who does and the differences and their blessings. I know across the board, that doesn't always, I mean, of course there was wicked in in both, but, Oh yeah. um, But yeah, just, it's a different crowd. It was to a different, different yeah. crowd. So that's that the premise of it. The, you know, we just wonder why is this the standard? I wanted to say, uh, give you a chance to wrap up, but I wanted to say to our to our listeners, show notes. Um, when you're listening to our podcast, whether it's on the computer, you'll usually see like a little circle in the picture with an eye for information. You click on that and it'll bring up show notes where we type in things. Uh, if you're listening on your Apple iPhone or with apps, sometimes you just touch on this, the picture of our, of our podcast and scroll and you'll see show notes. So I wanted to let you know, it, it, it's hopefully helpful. Like, uh, like I'll put that third Nephi seven scripture. I'll just put a link. So yeah. if you're listening to the podcast, you just hit on that show note, you're going to bring up the scripture. You can read it. Um, cool. also restored, restored gospel.com. We always have a link in our show notes. If you want to do your own scripture study, um, just click on that. It'll take you right to Corey's website. It's It's been there for 20 years. I don't know. It's it's evolved over the years, but it's a good scripture search website. Um, so the show notes, are, I think, are just something to help you. And if you haven't been looking at those, uh, it's a good place to go. So uh, I wanted to mention that. Corey, any, anything else? No, I just look forward to continuing the conversation with you, Mike. And we'll, we'll get into, you know, what are some of the plain and precious truths? Okay, good. I uh, I enjoyed a couple of things we talked about today a lot, and some of these things just come out in our conversation. I really am going to be pondering on that um, the identity in Christ and and the need for worship. Um, 
I, I think that what's exciting to me is that um, there's little things we can do along the way in our individual lives to um, to really help our standing with the Lord and, and make life a little better for each one of us as we, we take this walk home. But sure, sure a good time being here with you again, brother, and opening up the and Word of God. Yes. Until next time, God bless each one of us. We're all just walking each other home. Walking each other home and uh, with stocking hats this time. The <laughs> Michigan boy is starting to get cold here in Atlanta, Missouri. 